When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, and join the show. I mean, we go for all the big dogs of the Purple Insider uh, industries here to bring in before the NFL draft. We have Courtney Cronin, we had Gabe Henderson from Vikings.com, and now Eric Eager, Sumer Sports Show. He and Thomas Dimitrov doing incredible pre-draft coverage, breaking down every position. A lot of fascinating stuff there from Thomas's perspective on the scouting side, from yours, Eric, on the analytics side, and as many name drops from random old NFL players that I've ever heard in any podcast in the history of podcasts. So well done on your guys' first NFL draft coverage, and welcome to the show. What is up? Thank you for that. I know the linebacker core was so kind of desolate that we decided just to like pick our favorite linebackers, which, uh, which was good. Thomas, by the way, I think in his career had drafted three linebackers that ended up getting $10 million a year in their second contract, which was or second or third contract. Uh, so he had good insight there, but yeah, it's been, it's been such a fun time. It's been, it's been interesting watching the markets too. I know it doesn't matter necessarily as much to Vikings fans uh, picking at 23, but uh, the, the top five picks in the draft have been as uncertain as they have been in a long time. Yeah. Uh, well, first, I mean, when you drop names such as Mark Anderson and Patrick Kearney on the, the show, it's like, okay, well, uh, you have really done your draft prep here. But uh, so those are must listens for every position. So go check those out if you're interested in one particular position for the Vikings, like say quarterback, maybe that's a position that's been talked about a little. So you mentioned the markets and this is always funny to watch. So I try to tell the audience, look, you're going to see a lot of things. You're going to hear a lot of things. And I want you to understand that it's for entertainment purposes only because nobody really knows. And one of the things that I noticed from a couple of years ago was the Mac Jones thing where the markets believed he was going number three, the reporters believed he was going number three, and he was not taking number three. And you know, then last year kind of blew up the whole draft Illuminati and sort of shined a light on all these reports and all these mocks, they don't really tell you anything. And even, you know, there's databases of all these mocks. So you could go back and they can show you that even the best of the best might get like 14 right, 12 right. And that's out of thousands of people who do them. And yet every year we are days before the draft and it's like, oh, Will Levis is shooting up the draft board. Vegas says, Will Levis, this is happening to him. CJ Stroud apparently can't identify shapes in a cognition test. Like, what are we doing here? Why do we do this? Is it boredom? Yes. I mean, I think I think that the you could trace it back, I think, to the pandemic, right? I mean, the pandemic 
there was always draft props and, and, you know, there was always Super Bowl props and, you know, but you trace it back to 2020, like legalized betting was starting to become ubiquitous in you know, states like Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Indiana, um, you know, states like, and, and, and now it's about 32 states that, that coincided with um, the pandemic, wherein from about mid-March until what, mid-July, there was really nothing to bet on other than like Bundesliga soccer and like uh, KBO baseball. And so they, the sports books, which had dumped a bunch of capital into, you know, their, their operations needed to, needed to provide markets and, and needed to, 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 you know, get people depositing. Right. And so in the 2020 draft, you know, they had so many markets and they were so open for so long. Um, 2021 was a bad year for the books. I know that specifically. And my, my betting group, when I was betting at the time made a ton. And then last year uh, my, wasn't quite as good, but still like the books, I think were a net loser in that. And so now they've continued to kind of, you know, push these markets back a little bit. And interestingly, like, you know, it takes a while for the markets to mature. Like right now, I think you're starting to see higher limits. Um, but at the same time, it's also fundamentally different than the betting markets that you have in games where you, you like you bet Vikings minus three and the game hasn't been played yet. If you bet who the Panthers are going to pick, like you already either know, like they know, right? They know who they're taking. They've known, by the way, they've known since they traded up. Like, let's be honest. So, and so it's a little bit of a different thing. And books are weary because they don't get the same variance. Like if they hang a bad number in a football game, there can be fumbles and all that kind of stuff that happen. But if they hang a bad number on the first overall pick, like there's not a ton that, that can happen. Like Bryce Young's going first, right? So, you know, and, and so it provides a fundamentally different thing. And so I think that we we really wanted to use these markets as a gauge, much like for, for actual games and stuff, as to who was going where. I think we were a little bit overzealous with it. So what do we believe? What do we not believe? Right. I mean, so, you know, this uh, universe and space is filled with BS, but also there are truth to all rumors as a great wide receiver once said. And when I went back and looked at the mock draft database, one thing that I noticed was that, well, last year was pure debauchery from everybody involved who thought that there were four quarterbacks going in the first round, all that stuff. And there were some skeptics, but mostly it was between two and four quarterbacks in the first round. That is not how it played out at all. And the mocks were completely wrong, just flat dead wrong. That is not the case historically, though. Because if you go back, a lot of times there have even been years where the, and I, and what I mean is the, the websites that gather the mocks, grinding mm -hmm. the mocks is a great one from our friend, Benjamin Robinson, mock draft database I was looking at to kind of do this. But what I noticed is uh, on both of those sites that kind of do the same thing, they both showed that a lot of times the order is very close, if not right. Uh, where the teams are picking quarterbacks is at least in the ballpark. I mean, the 2020 draft was extremely close for where the mocks thought that the quarterbacks were going. So do we think that this year the mocks are close or far away when it comes to these quarterbacks? I'm inclined to think that they're cl it's close. Um, but at the same time, it does do the worst job with quarterbacks. And like what I mean is, and I'm, you know, I don't necessarily study the mocks as much as I study the markets, but I think that they eventually are correlated. Like quarterbacks are always overvalued, right? Like last year we saw, you know, Pickett go 20. We saw Willis fall off the table. We saw Desmond Ritter. 
at this time, like April 19th of 2022, Matt Corral was a favorite to go in the first round. It goes, you know, so this is, you know, we always talk ourselves into it. And this is, this is pertinent to the Vikings with Andon Hooker, right? We always talk ourselves into it. 2021, Justin Fields goes 11. Mac Jones goes 15 after being favored to be the third pick for a, a great deal of that time. 2020, you know, Jordan Love was kind of a pick in the teens, maybe, maybe late teens, goes 26 to the Packers via a trade up. That doesn't happen as much anymore where teams trade back in to, t- to take or trade up in the back half of the first round because the hit rate is terrible. 2000 and, and, and you know, uh, 20, um, you know, 2019, I'm sorry, you had Dwayne Haskins go 15th, right? A, a top 10 pick before the draft. Then you had Drew Locke, who was, you know, a favorite to go in the first round, fall to 42 to Denver. 2018, you had the markets. I remember this because I bet it. They had a market of five and a half quarterbacks. Now, under was a favorite, but not by that much. People were talking themselves into Mason Rudolph being a first-round pick that year. Lamar Jackson falls all the way to 32, okay? Mason Rudolph goes to round three. So I think, like, and and this is just the sort of the thing where, like, the quarterbacks that that reach the, the, the threshold for teams, they get picked high. The quarterbacks that don't fall because no one, like, you got to really love a quarterback to draft one is what it appears to be because you don't have, like you have the politics of it. Remember when Jalen Hurts got drafted by the Eagles, even in round two, they were like, oh, how's this going to affect Carson Wentz? Like you got to be careful. Mason Rudolph drafted by the Steelers in round three, Ben Roethlisberger got in his feels. So whereas no other position would, would be threatening, when the Packers drafted Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, they weren't like, oh my God, what does this mean for me? Like it's just, they all play. And then, you know, so I think that that's really the tricky thing. So to push it back here, I think most times these these aggregate mocks are going to push the players a little bit further down because every time there's a mock that has Levis at 19 or 15 or has Stroud at 11 or something, that's always going to push the average because you can't pick Stroud at like negative four, right? So it's not normally distributed that way. So I think that leads to some of the accuracy in these mock uh, accumulations because those quarterbacks generally fall further than we think. All right. So then here's the question. What does it all mean to the Minnesota Vikings? Because you mentioned Hendon Hooker, and that's an interesting idea that I am not sold actually happens yet. Um, Now, maybe if they were to trade down in the second round, but then I'm skeptical about drafting quarterbacks in the second round, Uh, even though Jalen Hurts worked out great, there's not a tremendous history of that usually you want your team to just be going all in or don't really do it at all. Uh, but, you know, when you're trying to figure out and assess which quarterback could draft into an area where the Vikings could potentially trade next year's first to move up, I think that's a discussion to be had. Would it be crazy to trade everything you have in your entire, uh, you know, the box of draft picks for the next three years to try to get the number three pick from the Arizona Cardinals? Or should you just sit at 23? And if it happens, it happens. Because I remember with Mac Jones, we talked about part of the value to that would have been not having to trade anything for, for that you know, player where you just get to use your own draft pick. So if it goes kablooey, then that's okay. I mean, it's just a bust first round draft pick, which happens all the time, as opposed to trading three first round draft picks. Like if this is something that they want, put it that way, how should they approach it? If they want to draft a quarterback? Yeah. I mean, we saw it in 2021, right? Like, you know, we all think of Kellen Mond as a third round pick, but that was the top of the third round. Like you're looking at a top 70 player in the draft 
and um and you know he couldn't play i mean like let's be honest he was terrible from the jump and so there is just a huge drop off and it's different now like you know back in the day when quarterbacks used to fall like you could consider a third round pick an option to start for you so that that doesn't mean that if you take a guy in the second or third round he's automatically not the successor to Kirk Cousins but it, it it's a pretty big prior that he won't be right so that doesn't mean you trade you draft Hendon Hooker in round one and that doesn't automatically make him that either, right? He's got to be talented enough for the pick. And and so from my perspective, I I believe, like Hendon Hooker was like, what, number one in QBR last year. Uh, he put up some pretty good numbers. But I do believe the 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 ball guys, when they they say, like, look, that's kind of a fake offense. You notice how he doesn't move his feet in the pocket. Obviously, the age, the injury, all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't believe Hendon Hooker's a first-round pick. I, I, you know, also, you also have, like, the the transfer into the Josh Heupel system. Like, he has all the characteristics of, like, a fake st- statistical season um, for Tennessee. So, I wouldn't take him. Um, I also don't think the Vikings are good enough to be trading a ton of draft picks and to, to move up. And they're good. Like, in some ways, they can, right? Because they have two good tackles. They have a great wide receiver. Um, they have a tight end that I think that they really like, of course, in Hawkinson. Uh, running back, they're fine with Chandler, Nwangwu, and and Madison once they move on from Cook. Like I think they're they can support a young quarterback without a ton of you know they 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 could do better at wide receiver, they could do better at interior offensive line, blah blah blah. So in, in one way, you trade up for the guy that you really like, and nothing else matters because he's amazing. Like I can see that outcome for the Vikings. My issue is is I don't think any of these four quarterbacks, other than Anthony Richardson is capable of the kind of elite level play that's going to be a trade your whole draft for. And Anthony Richardson has such a low floor that I just don't see it. So for me, if I'm Minnesota, I trade out of the first, like, and again, they need a market for this, but I trade out of the first round. I try to get a pick in the second round. I try to use that on Trey lands and I try to, and I try to move forward with that at the Marshall, Minnesota kids, Southwest Minnesota state, the home thereof, uh, I I would that would be my approach, um, knowing again that that you know that's another one where at least Lance has the pedigree, you know, and, and that would be to me that's the most realistic way of moving on from Kirk Cousins with a young quarterback. Yeah, I, I I definitely get you on that. I mean, something that I've been thinking about is the Family Guy, uh, what's in the box? Could it be another box yeah. um, thing? So it's like. Well, uh, you know, you have behind door number one is maybe either you're giving up too much for a quarterback prospect that isn't the next Andrew Luck, or you're drafting Hendon Hooker that is a flawed prospect. But behind door number two is a flawed Trey Lance who's barely played football, or it's drafting 17th overall in 2024 and trying to trade up and give everything you have to get higher. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of, yeah. if you don't do it now, you're probably going to face a lot of the same problems later. Now I think that that is a likely scenario because they don't have to do it now and they can run this thing all the way to the end and they can really see, let's say that our door is slightly transparent so they could see the outline of what's behind door number two, then where you can't see it now. Uh, it's you're, assuming you're not getting the top two guys for next, season it's very uh you know unclear what's going to happen for next year or what veterans could be available or all those things but it does 
make me chuckle a little bit just to think about like all the problems that we present this year are the same problems next year. If you draft Spencer Rattler next year with the 17th overall pick, people are still going to say, well, he's not a perfect prospect. He's got this, that, and whatever wrong with him. He's no better prospect than Anthony Richardson or than Will Levis or whatever else. So I guess there's a part of me that says like, just pick a guy, but I also couldn't possibly tell them to just pick a guy. Exactly. And that's, and maybe that's the, you roundabout way, that's the reason you just pick a guy, right? Like, and and maybe and maybe it's not pick a guy at twenty three, but maybe it's pick a guy, you know, pick two two in the in pick one in day three and pick one in day four, or sorry, pick one in day two. I'm sorry, and pick one in day day three. I like, you know, throw numbers at the position, right? You even think about it from the Packers' perspective when they when they elevated Aaron Rodgers to starting quarterback, they took Brian Brom in round round two from Louisville legend, then they take Matt Flynn. Uh, you know, national championship Matt Flynn seventh round. Matt Flynn's better than Brian Brom. Ends up being the backup there for a long time. I I think. Look, like we we had this discussion a lot during COVID too. Like, there's not a solution that's good here. Like, and, and this is the and this is the 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 outcome of constantly kicking the can down the road and always assuming you can move off of Cousins and. You didn't, right? Because in a in a weird way, Cousins has really played well the last couple of years. Got them in a position where they felt as though they needed a guy like Hawkins in the middle of the year. Doesn't work out as far as winning a you know winning a Super Bowl or even winning playoff games. And now you you lost your pick, and you also had the ragger, you know, the Blacklock trade and all that stuff. And now you're in a situation where behind door number one is a kind of a crappy situation behind door number two, and you're just picking amongst a lot of things that don't have great outcomes, and you're just trying to pick a you know, a solution amongst uh, things that are going to not be great on average. So I mean, if, if I'm the Vikings again, like I, I try my best. And I think Quasi to his credit, Quasi Dapamensa to his credit, is willing to trade back and not necessarily get the best value. We saw that with Detroit, um, even though he won that trade by a lot of the analytical metrics, he didn't win it by Jimmy Johnson. But that's okay, right? Like, I don't think that that the Vikings – the Vikings problem is they don't have numbers on their team. Like they don't have a lot of, a lot of good players. They have some elite talent, but they don't have any depth. So trading the 23rd pick, getting two or three picks back, even if they're not premium, and then just using two or three of those picks on, on some of the quarterbacks, the Tanner McKees of the world, the Dorian Thompson Robinsons of the world. Uh, A lot of people in the league I've talked to really like Jaron Hall from BYU. You know, some of those, take two or three swings at those and see which one of those guys actually ends up emerging as a, as a real player for this team and, and um, you know, give them a shot and, and be willing to move off of cousins. I think the biggest thing, you know, cousins, the biggest problem with the cousins contract is he's played well enough to never, you know, never let them explore any other options and, and yet not well enough to win anything meaningful. So, uh, you know, be willing to explore, you know, that player playing this year, uh, whichever one of those emerges. Yeah, I don't think that you can do that with the roster that they have because they have so few picks. Like if you have 12 draft picks, maybe you could spend two on quarterbacks and see what happens and hope that it's like getting two lottery picks, uh, you know, lottery cards instead, or what do they call them? Lottery tickets as, as, as opposed to one. I still don't ever really like the mid-round quarterback because – 
Kellen Mond is just the the average and not the exception for someone who just barely yep. goes anywhere. The Davis Webbs, the Kyle Lalettas, that's 99% of those players. But if you were taking that approach, you would also have to have a lot of draft capital to burn because you look around the roster and go, all right, I always think you draft for the following season, right? You don't draft for this year, you draft for the following year because most players need a year to adjust. Let's take a look down the road. KJ Osborne's a free agent. Harrison Smith is on the older side and might retire. Like you're going to lose more of these players. And how are you replacing them? There's no clear cut cornerback. Jordan Hicks is going to be gone after that. You need a linebacker. Uh, Ezra Cleveland could go. You could need a left guard. We don't know if the running back situation is going to work out. Like there are needs all over the place. So I think that the, the there is a great argument for just this year sort of punting that decision for another year and drafting twice in the second round. If you could drop back or something like that, if you could trade back or whatever, twice in the top hundred, as opposed to, you know what I mean? Like as opposed to just 23 and 87, uh, adding a couple draft picks by moving back, it does make sense, even though it doesn't solve the biggest problem that you have, but it does set you up a little bit better for the future. If some of those draft picks ultimately end up working out. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I think, you know, we, everybody sort of comments and says that we're the negative ones and stuff, but like that you're, what you're saying is like, there isn't really a way to do this. That's, that's not going to require some luck. Right. And, and some players hitting. And, you know, I think one of the big developments in Minnesota last year was the fact that the coaching staff, I felt like did a pretty good job of building a culture, building, you know, a situation where some players, um, you know, the KJ Osborne to the world, uh, you know, uh, I even think Brian Asamoah looked pretty good at the end of the year. Josh Metellus, guys like who didn't really have great expectations going into the year played okay. Like, I think that that's got to be the gamble too, right? If you're, if you're Adolfo Menster, you said, look like, I mean, you're the boss and, you know, uh, and, and O'Connell's the, you know, the head coach. And it's just like, look, you know, we want, what do you want? Do you want five players? And you got to like, sort of, uh, you know, uh, shoot the moon here and, and hit all five of them or, do you want 10 and they're all going to be a little bit less in pedigree, but maybe you only have to go five out of 10. Can you go five out of 10 with these kind of players? Like, I think that that's a, you know, that's a real good question. And, and it sets them up because as you said, like, you know, is the Darius Smith's not going to be here. I think next year, D Danelle Hunter, that thing doesn't look particularly promising from a long-term standpoint. Obviously Jordan Hicks is, you know, the, the, there's people mocking the Vikings a linebacker, which I don't understand, but I think it's partly because Jordan Hicks is probably on his last way out. Harrison Smith can only be here for so much longer. Uh, corner, they don't, you know, Byron Murphy's a good addition, but I don't think they're strong there. Like they have so many needs and they only have five draft picks. So, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Right. I mean, I think that if you moved back and got an additional draft pick that everybody would kind of go, oh, uh, okay. But one of the things that's interesting to me is when you go through second rounds recently, you can find tons of really effective and sometimes really even excellent players. So, you know, what stands out to me is AJ Brown and Debo Samuel are two all pro level receivers. These are not just like, okay, players who they got in the second round. These are legitimate stars. Now you could say, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? That's true. But I think that the second round is often kind of fruitful in the NFL. So moving back into the second from 23, like I don't see, we talk about this sometimes with uh, offenses. If you're the eighth best offense, you're much closer to the 17th than you are the first. And I feel the same way about this, where once you get past the top 15 prospects, 
23 and 40 might not be that far away from each other in actual prospect. But what about the positional value discussion that we're just constantly having? Like, I think we've all decided that there's a couple of positions that we have just said, pound the table, bang the gavel. Those are the important positions. And of course, the Vikings, for whatever reason, have ignored them a lot with high draft picks under Spielman. And then even last year, uh, only taking a corner, but also taking guard, linebacker, safety, not the premium positions. But let's say that they do that scenario. They, they drop back. They get an additional early third or an additional second. So they're picking twice in the second, once in the third. They've got a couple of picks here in the top 100. If they're not going quarterback, and we're talking about fairly equal types of prospects, what position should they target? Yeah, I mean, you brought up so many good points there. The second round pick, um, when you look at like Massey and Thaler, that's Richard Thaler, the Nobel Prize winner, dabbled in football for a while. Um, you know, when you look at surplus value, it's it's the value that the on-field value minus the cost. And because first round picks cost a little bit more the the surplus value is actually higher you know for, for some second round picks at times now with the new rookie wage scale it's actually flattened that a little bit um but then first round picks became more expensive again and so like right in like that like pick 10 to 40 is a sweet spot and then what's interesting is like everybody says and I don't necessarily always agree with it but they say there's not there's not 32 first round picks in this draft right so if you're picking Minnesota you're 23 like there's probably not a ton of a gradient between where you're picking to your point and like 40. And yet the, the cost curve is still sloping downward, even if player 23 and player 40 are the same. So that's one consideration. And then to your point, like surplus value, you know, when you look at like the true premium positions, which is tackle, like think about this, think about all the positions the Vikings have never been able to sign in free agency. Those are called, those are premium positions. So left tackle, like, and Riley Reef was fine, but you're, that's not a top-end player. Like, when's the top-end player? When the Vikings traded for Jared Allen, a, a defensive end, that was a one and two threes and a huge contract. That's how you acquire a premium position player if, if you don't draft them yourselves. Um, wide receiver, that the best wide receivers the Vikings have ever acquired were all in the top end of the draft, right? You know, Percy Harvin, uh, you know, and Diggs actually was later on, but then Jefferson, Moss, you know, all, all that. And then, um, you know, to wide receiver, corner's another one. And the Vikings, to their credit, have taken a lot of swings at corner high. Um, you know, they just have missed there. <laughs> Defensive end's the one where, like, I think that Mike Zimmer whiffed here, right? Because he got one with a non-premium pick, and he thought he could always do that. They have not used a first, second, or third-round pick on an edge player since Daniel Hunter. And, and so that that's another place. But, you know, the, the, the kind of opposite are premium position. The lack the non-premium positions are positions that are available in free agency um, and the top of the market. So Miles Sanders was available, widely available. There wasn't a Miles Sanders of left tackles available in this in this free agency crop or wide receivers or corners. Uh, linebacker, Tremaine Edmonds got a top end market deal. There isn't a Tremaine Edmonds of, uh, you know, the centers, guards, all those positions, safeties, those positions that can be, that can be readily available. Um, those are non-premium positions. And that... To me, when you think about the last draft that Adolfo Menta had, that to me is the one place where you can really ding him, which is, you know, you go safety in round one, you go linebacker in round three, you know, running back a few times. Now, fourth round and beyond, it's it's okay. I mean, I guess um, guard is another one. And that was always the problem with the Cousins contract as well, because the the whole point of like using draft capital to get premium position players is 
they're a huge surplus when they're on their rookie deal. And they're basically a zero surplus when you sign them to a multi, you know, multi-year deal yourself. Um, if you, if you do that, they give you that surplus so that you can sign a guard, sign a center, sign a, you know, defensive tackle, sign a linebacker, sign a safety. And the Vikings have really never had the capital to be able to do that effectively because they didn't really, you know, you, they spent draft capital on guys like Bradbury, guys like Irv Smith, um, Alexander Madison, all in the same draft, really. And that, that is, you know, not necessarily given them what they, what they've hoped. Yeah, when you think about where they've even spent the free agent dollars, now Zadarius Smith, of course, is a pass rusher, Patrick Peterson last year, but a lot of times it has been on the Jordan Hicks, the Dalvin Tomlinson, the Harrison Phillips, um, but also they haven't really been able to chase after anyone in free agency that is among the first waves. A lot of times the first wave is just meant sitting out, which means that you've had to really just hope that you hit those premium positions. But if you're not drafting edge rushers at the top, you're probably not getting them right. Like I think that there are some positions. This is this is maybe just theory here from doing this year in and year out. But I think some positions you absolutely better take them high or don't even bother. And edge rusher is probably one of them. Uh, maybe take it toward the, the way back and try to develop somebody. But if you can't draft them high, just go to free agency if you can. Uh, corners, I kind of think that maybe that's not the case. Like late first round, second round, in, into the mid-second third, I see a lot of starting corners. Uh, and also I think corner and safety are such a product of system, who else is on the team, all those things, the pass rush that you have, that it's really hard to discern. Did you hit on that guy or was it just circumstance? Because we see so many corners. How about like JC Jackson, where they look great in one place, they go to another place and they're terrible. Like what Tremaine Johnson, like what happened there? Um, that usually doesn't have happen with pass rushers. So there's a more predictable element to some of these. Uh, but the wide receiver position is one I want to talk about because this has emerged as a favorite in this draft for the Vikings. And I think trading back and taking a receiver is one of the best plays that you can have. Cause I understand that there's always the guy you sort of fall in love with and, Oh, well we have to take him. He's there at 23, but the distribution of first round, second round corners, it's almost equal, at least from just my perception of it, your chances of taking in the first round of success or in the second round in recent years. Now, maybe if you're taking the top five, you're getting a Julio Jones, Jalen Waddell, mm -hmm. uh, Kelvin Johnson. That's different. That's usually an all-time great prospect. Everybody else, though, I think that it's hard to figure out whether a receiver is going to be good if you take them at 12 or if you take them at 43, much, much different from like a pass rusher that in the top 15, like what they do in college is what they do in the NFL. But receivers are a lot different, how they fit uh, certain skill sets that they have, intelligence, how they remember it and process information, like all those things. And I feel like if you do one thing super well and you're a second round pick, that you can yeah. be good as a wide receiver. Do you do you agree with that theory that trading back to take a receiver would be a smart play? Absolutely. So like there's your point about the market is absolutely uh, you know spot on. Like I did this, I, I looked at this actually, you look at a tweet I had, like you know, I looked at pro football references approximate value for the team that drafts him. And um, the first round has more variance than the second round, which is interesting. And just you know, five more approximate value points, which isn't that much per per rookie uh, per rookie contract um the the you know, first round wide receivers likelihood of being a starter in the NFL is about 56% since the new uh CBA 
Second round, just 43%. That's not that big of a drop-off. Um, the likelihood that the player is a stud, which is like basically um, 40 approximate value points, is about 16% if you're a first round. It's 10% if you're a second round. It's 13% if you're a third round. Um, and, and so, you know, it's not a, a steep curve. And I think that the, what you just brought up is is the main reason, which is, you know, when you, we grew up watching Vikings football, like Chris Carter and Jake Reed did everything, right? They, they were on the field every single down and they bring Kadri Ismail off the bench on third down. And that was the offense. Um, you know, then it was Moss and Jake Reed came off the bench and then it was, you know, uh, Burleson and Moss and Robinson, like, but now like wide receivers, they play like all kind of play 70% of the snaps and they all kind of do it. And, and, uh, you know, there's an article on sumersports.com. Um, by the way, we published one today about draft proverbs, which I think is really cool about kind of, you know, what, what's a smart way to draft, you know, in summary, but we wrote one on weakling systems a, a few weeks ago where, you know, you think about it, like, you know, the, the, the likelihood that a system doesn't screw up is the is the product of each individual not screwing up and that's maximized when each individual has the same likelihood of not screwing up so i think a lot of teams intuitively know this and they say like look we have the wide receivers we have are fixed for kansas city it was juju marquez valdez scantling Kadarius tony uh you know mccall hardman and okay those receivers are ours they're fixed we're nothing we can do about it now let's engineer roles where everybody's equally good at their own role. And that will make the system as resilient as possible. And, and as such, you don't get guys that are playing every snap anymore. You don't get guys that are um, try that have to do everything. And hence guys, when they come out of the, when they come out of the, you know, this is like Andrew Barry calls it like horses and geese. Like you get a lot more like players that can do one or two things really well. And they be, they're useful in the NFL for a long time. Yeah, and uh, I wrote about this today with wide receivers and the whole discussion about undersized wide receivers. And what really came away was if you can find what the guy does well, you can work around it. When you already have Justin Jefferson, that's a huge part of it, right? Because if you need someone to do everything, to be your Diggs, your Devontae Adams, your Justin Jefferson, well, good luck finding that. I mean, you just have to luck into that. It worked out. It didn't work out for Jalen Rager, draft luck for the Vikings, whatever. So forth. But if you're talking about finding people that can fill in around him, it's sort of like being the number two corner. If Darrell Revis is the number one corner where you always know you're going to have a safety over the top because Darrell Revis is taking away one side of the field. Same deal with Justin Jefferson. He's taking away multiple defenders on every play, two to three defenders on every play, which means you are one-on-one. -on -one, and if you can find, does the guy run good quick slants? Is he good at double moves? Is he good at whatever? Even if he isn't the right size, even if he isn't the perfect speed or whatever, if he does one of those things well, you could probably make that work. And that's why I like sort of picking a guy that has a skill set that you think you can work with, with their strength, and then rolling with it and putting them next to Justin Jefferson, where if you're Chris Carter, for example, and I'm not, uh, you know, discounting that Chris Carter was fast, but he's not Randy Moss fast, but he certainly is wide open all the time. If you put him on one-on-one -on -one coverage, that he's going to be able to do anything he wants. And uh, Chris Carter was a Hall of Famer before Randy Moss, so make that clear. But when you put them together, that's greatest offense of all time type of stuff because you're working with both players skill sets perfectly. And that's what everyone is kind of always chasing for those wide receivers. So I wanted to ask you just some favorites. Give me some favorites. Like, you know, Haley English, our intern, we do Haley's heroes. 
Uh, <laughs> I don't, you know, and, and we did Matt's Monsters. So if you have alliteration with your name, um, go ahead and use it. But give me, give me some of the guys as you've prepared and you've talked with Thomas Dimitrov on a regular basis where you've said, you know what? And it doesn't have to be a Vikings target, but just a couple guys where you're like, I, I'm intrigued. The numbers are popping for me for this guy. This is who I'm looking at. So wide receivers are just the whole draft? Just the whole draft. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm really a big fan of Devin Witherspoon uh, of Illinois. Uh, I know he's a little bit on the older side, a little bit on the smaller side, but uh, you know, just got his hands on the ball a ton when he was at Illinois. That's like one of my favorite players in the draft. I do, and I, and I know people are going to call me like a Mahomes simp or whatever, but I, I like it. I think I like the idea of Anthony Richardson. I think if Anthony Richardson were to go in that five, six, or seven range, Seattle, Detroit, oh, I'm calling them Oakland until they win the AFC West, Oakland, um, in five, six, or seven, and they, they sit behind the veteran there, I think that there's going to be a, a lot uh, of positivity there. I like Dalton Kincaid of Utah. That's one of my, you know, a tight end that I, I think uh, can very much be a ball player here. It's hard not to like Kalijah Kansi, the, the defensive tackle from Pittsburgh, who like is Aaron Donald size and Aaron Donald speed. Um, that That's one that I that I really enjoy as well. And I'll go a little deeper in the draft. I like Zach Charbonnet, the, the running back from UCLA. I think he's a terrific runner. I think, I don't think he has like quite the burst that B. John Robinson has. But I think he kind of reminds me of like a rich man's Alfred Morris, who was a very effective running back in the NFL uh, for a number of years for the Washington Commanders. Eric's Emeralds. The, that's what that was. Eric's Emeralds. You know, I, I do that. think the the thing about Bijan Robinson, and if we start talking about this, you know where it's going to go into this like huge rant about drafting yeah. running backs. But uh one of the things that is a key for me, like a foundational point about not drafting them high is how many are good in the middle rounds. I just, because I think it's relevant. I've been looking up, you know, kind of doing a little research on the running back class for day two, possibly early day three. And there's like seven guys. I think, Oh wow. Okay. This guy's got a pretty good resume. Oh, look, he is good at the combine. Oh, he averaged seven yards to carry Keaton Mitchell. And uh, how about Eric Gray from Oklahoma? Like there's a bunch of twos. The other guy at Texas, I forget his name is a really good running back prospect. Like one school has two great running back prospects yeah. that could be taken. I mean, this is, it just sort of tells you they're everywhere. And then we talk about the circumstantial stuff, the situational stuff. So there's a lot of running backs that I like. Uh, your, your emeralds are good. Tight end is another position. That's always weird for me though, because mm -hmm. we always fall in love with a guy and the Viking, this is irrelevant for the Vikings, but even Irv Smith was like this. Like, oh, wow. This guy was amazing and everything else in college. Oh, you can line them up over here and you can line them up over there. And there's just all these different things that we talk ourselves into. And then it's kind of the same story almost all the time. Well, imagine that, having to learn two positions in the NFL. Like right. you have to learn, essentially learn, learn how to play tackle or fullback or wide and wide receiver. Like it's just a hard position to learn from. And if you take one high as the Vikings, like, I'm going to tell you this right now. Here's a prediction. Irv Smith is going to ball this year. And just the same way that, like, Greg Olson balled in Carolina, that Vashante Shanko balled in Minnesota, that, you know, Delaney Walker balled in Tennessee, all these athletic tight ends do really well after they get a bit of seasoning. And it's the catch-22 because all these guys are drafted high, so the NFL always had a high opinion of them. So they're going to stay in the league for a fair amount of time. And when you draft them high, you're just drafting somebody else's tight end. 
It's what you're doing. And Irv Smith has the goods. It's just they drafted him to be great. And granted, they had Kyle there, but like they, the 19 Vikings needed immediate impact players. And Irv Smith was never going to be that because of the position he played. And, you know, that's always like, when I think Dalton Kincaid, he's going to get overdrafted. And, and we're going to be talking about Dalton Kincaid like five years from now being like, oh, he's finally emerged to be great. A la like maybe TJ Hawkinson, another example of a guy who's better for his second team than he was his first team. And, and it's just, it's a tough position. Like I, I, I will fade any sort of, even Kyle Pitts, who's the best prospect. And, and, you know, I was involved when I, when I was in PFF and helping the Falcons, you know, sort of do their due diligence on him. Um, he had no flaws as a prospect other than he was a tight end and they, they overlooked that. And, you know, I would imagine they're disappointed now. The Vikings giveth and taketh away with this, right? I mean, certainly uh, with the Irv Smith, the didn't work out. And then they get TJ Hawkinson for kind of the same reason. And he fits in flawlessly right away. Uh, so, yeah, it was just kind of an interesting aside because we haven't talked about tight ends really on the show at all. Before we wrap up, Eric, one last thing. And, you know, because you are one of us, a native Minnesotan, you have to answer this question. I want to know when you were growing up as a Vikings follower, uh, who was the draft pick that you got insanely excited about? Now it doesn't matter if they worked out or not. Like we could talk about that, but who was the one? Because I know I didn't grow up in Minnesota, but I remember listening to the NFL draft in 1998 on the radio because my parents did not have cable. I don't know why we, we got them cable like 10 years ago. And they were like, wow, this is great. There's like everything here. Like, yeah, folks. Uh, so yeah. I used to have to listen to um, things on the radio. And I remember yeah. the analysts on the radio trashing Randy Moss. Oh, how could he show up with a pant leg pulled up to the draft? And he had sunglasses on it is at the Heisman thing. And he's a bad guy. And I remember thinking, I want this to this guy to work out so bad to shove it down their throat. Like that's kind of like one of my earliest sort of draft memories before it became what it is today, where we study as much as, as we do. So what about you for a, uh, like a Vikings early uh, youth watching football draft memory? Yeah. So like, I really like, I've gone back and watched a lot of games prior, but like my and drafts, the first draft I ever watched was 1995 when the Vikings passed up on the opportunity to pair John Randall with Warren Sapp and got Derek Alexander instead. Uh, I remember when they also backed up the truck to sign the wide receiver, Derek Alexander, that was fun as well. Uh, I really, I really wanted them to draft Eddie George because I didn't think Robert Smith could stay healthy. And then he went a pick early. So they got something called Dwayne Clemens. Um, uh, you know, Dwayne, the Moss pick, I do remember being pretty excited in at the time. Uh, I was always a big Jake Reed fan, but I always thought like, wow, three wide receivers is to be amazing. Um, so that was, that was the one that I was, you know, interestingly, the Dante Culpepper pick, people forget that, you know, Randall Cunningham was coming off such a, a great year. They traded Brad Johnson for that 11th pick and took Dante, but, but Cunningham was on a five-year deal at the time. So like we kind of, not, I don't think anybody got excited about Dante really. He was very raw. He was terrible in the preseason his rookie year. Um, Moss, so Moss is a very exciting one. Um, let's think about like a low round pick though, that we were all excited about. And, and this was 2008, the aforementioned where, you know, you go 06, 07, best run defense in NFL history, Tomlin, Frazier, can't stop the pass, you know, 31st against the pass. I think in, in 06, like one of the bottoms in the league, 
to need a pass rush. Kinechi Desi wasn't going to do it. Then unfortunately he got leukemia as well. Um, you know, Darian Scott couldn't rush the passer. Erasmus James was terrible. So then they they trade a first. I remember I was tutoring at the time. One of my best friends, Trey, who's still a Vikings fan, called me and said, We got Jared Allen. So I go, I'm really excited they got Jared Allen. So now they're left with the second pick, second round pick. They get Tyrell Johnson, one of the stiffest safeties I've ever seen in my life. Fifth round pick. And I, I remember I'm in, I'm eating, I'm going out to dinner with my my girlfriend and her family. And I look up and it says, fifth round pick Vikings, John David Booty, quarterback US, uh, USC. And I was like, I actually know who this player is. I'm excited. This is pretty fun. And, you know, the, the best part of the John David Booty era was he was the back, the third stringer for two years behind, or one year behind Tavares and Gus Ferrata, a friend of the show. And the next year, he was still wearing number four. And he was wearing number four the whole 2009 training camp. It's a charade, right? He's like, what's John, what's number four up to? So the real number four comes off of the private jet from Hattiesburg, walks in. John David Booty comes out of the locker room, tail between his legs, wearing number nine. I don't think he ever, like, even signed with another team the rest of his career. The poor guy got usurped for Brett Favre. Um, but at the time, I think a lot of people, um, you know, people were talking about audibles being called booty calls and that kind of thing. Like, people were excited about John David Booty. And that so that's my later round one, uh, you know, as growing up uh, uh, watching and, and rooting for the Vikings. So. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, anytime it's a quarterback, for sure, you're, you know, getting excited. Um, I think that I have probably talked people out of that over the last couple of years. And after the Kellen Mond thing, because, I mean, the Kellen Mond thing is funny to look back on because Robert Griffin III was laughing at Kirk Cousins on TV. And Rick Spielman's talking about how Kellen Mond is just like Teddy Bridgewater and just immediately was over. It was over in OT8. I mean that that we watched the first practice. And trust me, like the reporters, we have seen hundreds of practices. I've never seen a guy at quarterback just look so, so lost, but also throw the ball so poorly. I mean, that was what amazed me. And that's why college is so crazy compared to the NFL, because when you actually watched him throwing the ball, he was taking snaps under center and did not know how to drop back and throw a football. It was wild. Like, and there are other players who you see that immediately step in and you're amazed. Other players take a while, but that was the one where it's like, oh, I think they messed up that draft pick. Uh, the late round one, since I've covered the team, that is the funniest to look back on is Jalen Twyman uh, because they was picked in the sixth or seventh and people kind of lost their minds. This guy was supposed to be a first round prospect. And this, he look at his sack numbers, Aaron Donald, everything else. And then he, unfortunately, and then not funny at all, but like he got shot and then he never played. I mean, he's fine. So it's okay. But like he, the, then came back to practice last year. There was absolutely nothing there. He was way too small to be in the NFL. I mean, way, way, way too small to be uh, and ran like a five, three or something. I mean, there was just no chance this was going to work out, but people lost their minds. Um, the other one though, for me, the wrongest I've been is Wyatt Davis. I thought, what a great pick Ohio state guard. Like this should solve all their problems and uh, never play, never made it even through his second year. So that's why the draft is fun. Always to look back on and we will have a great time going through it. And uh, if you have time folks, Sumer Sports Show, if you want to hear the perspective of and a foremost analytics expert in the NFL and Thomas Dimitrov, former NFL GM, two-time GM of the year. Uh, it is a great show. I listen to it all the time. I just got new noise-canceling headphones, like ones that actually do it, not the ones that you kind of bought off the rack that say noise-canceling. 
and huge difference maker on a plane was able to actually hear your guys podcast and the tremendous intro music of course as well so uh thanks so much for for the show it's great people should go check it out and i appreciate all the time you've given us in the run-up to the draft uh it's it's such it's honestly the best nfl event of the year isn't it like the super bowl only involves two teams the draft involves all 32 and, and except for the rams um and and so it's it really is a fun time and and i it's obviously a pleasure just to get to talk about it with you and, and hopefully the vikings do some things that make us uh, compelled on thursday thanks again eric and uh, of course thanks everybody for listening we'll catch you next time